This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Austin Real Estate Investing. This is Jordan Moorhead. Today I have Reed Goosens here. Reed is a real estate investor in the Austin area, and he's going to tell us all about his strategy, which is apartment syndication and why he loves Austin. So, hey, Reed, how are you doing? G'day, Jordan. Thanks for having me on the show, mate. Yeah, thanks for coming. I know you've, you've got a lot going on here in Austin. I'm always happy to talk to people that believe and also invest in the Austin area. Yeah, no, it's a great, great market to be in, and I'm sure we're going to dive into some great topics uh, on the conversation. Absolutely. So before we do, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about you sure. and how you got involved in real estate investing? Yeah, so as you can tell from my accent, I'm not originally from Austin. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not from Central Texas. Uh, I'm originally from Australia, and I made the move out to the United States in 2012 actually to, to, to really just come out and live as an expat in New York City. I uh, was also chasing a girl at that time, and that girl turned into be my wife now. Um, and, and I moved out here, my background's in structural engineering. So I came out here to be an expat, to work in structural engineering. Um, but but the, the real estate, you ask about the real estate bug, that actually happened before moving to the United States. Um, and that happened when I, after I graduated university in 2007, I went, I went abroad, I went, went to London and I studied, uh, I, I worked as a structural engineer on the 2012 Olympic Games, but in 2008, building the infrastructure for, for that massive, you know, world event of, of, of the Olympic Games. And then 2009, went to the, to, to the south of France and had a bit of fun down there. And that's where I actually met my, my, my now wife. And then when I returned to Australia in, in 2010, that was really the time where sort of life hit me smack in the face, right? I'd spent two years abroad, had an incredible time living in London in the south of France and experiencing, you know, all the world's cultures and, and, and really broadening my horizon. And then when I got back to Australia, sitting in a cubicle, I really just felt like I had more to give. And, and that was the start of the journey down the road of this entrepreneurship. And I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was at the time. I just knew that I needed to have someone pay me to live my life to go traveling more, <laughs> right? <laughs> and through stumbling across the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that, and, I, and I picked that up in early 2010, that was really the start or the spark within me to, to want to do more. And, and really it was just a... a, a are wanting to be more, do more, uh, and not just sit on the sideline. I felt like, you know, a, a talented athlete sitting on the bench and watching a basketball match or the game go uh, before me in front of my eyes. And so for me, it was about, hang on, I don't want to do this for the next 40 years, sitting in a cubicle and feeling like I'm a small cog in a large machine, corporate machine. I wanted to take life by the balls, excuse my, excuse my language, and, and, and give it a crack. And so that was the start. And that was really where I said, okay, well, the blinkers came off. I happen to be a structural engineer. I happen to be already rubbing shoulders with developers on big infrastructure projects. Well, I need to start paying attention, right? I was then also started to self-educate on in Australia about the different real estate potentials that I could do there. Um, fast forward about 18 months, my the girlfriend, Erica, now my wife, she moved to Australia for a period of time and she'd finished her master's degree. I was really itching to move back to New York because I wanted to be an expat. And we just said, screw it, let's go, let's move. And that was the move to United States in 2012. And that's when I hit the ground running. I hadn't, hadn't bought any properties at that stage, but I figured out 
Uh, I joined a local RIA club. I, I just, in, you know, was in completely enthralled by the, the infrastructure you guys have here from the education point of view, which we just don't have in Australia. And I was just blown away with the cheap properties that you could buy in secondary and tertiary markets. And so the, you are, it's a long-winded answer to your question, but it started through picking up Richard and Portad, having the evolution of coming, doing self-education in Australia, coming to America, realizing what, what the opportunities here and then taking action on those opportunities. So I guess I, I, you know, you talked about buying cheap properties in secondary and tertiary markets. Um, how did you get started in real estate investing? It, that is? It, 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 so the, the the bug was already bitten after Red, Red Rich Dad Poor Dad was learning about stuff in Australia, different strategies, fix and flipping, um, lease options, all that sort of stuff, and then made the move to America at the same time. So it didn't actually pull the trigger or anything in, in Australia, but was self educating. Moved to America in New York City, you know, fast talking Americans. I'm at my first REAR event, the Real Estate Investor Association events they're, they're, they're across the country, and is blown away with the information that was available for 20, 30 bucks at the door. And through that event, I met some local people who were t- talking about these secondary and tertiary markets. And I didn't have a lot of money saved up at that time, but I have enough to get started. And I, I realized that there were some, some of these markets were within four hours driving distance of New York City. Well, that's it. That's good enough for me. You know, I can get there on a weekend. And so literally that's all it was. It was about, I, I remember to this day, Jordan, reading so many books on the, on the subway to and from work in New York City and just going, okay, I've been self-educating for two years now. I need to jump in the deep end. Like I can't keep reading. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like losing weight, right? You don't read about losing weight. You've got to get on the freaking, got to get in the gym and jump on the treadmill. So for me, it was the only way I'm really going to get to deal number 10 is by doing that first deal. And I had enough money saved up. It was about 30, 40,000 bucks I'd saved up from, from my, my career. I, don't, I wasn't given any money. I, I saved it all myself. And I saw these properties in Syracuse, New York, and I could buy a triplex for $35,000. And I was like, holy crap, I, I can't buy that in Australia, right? That doesn't even exist. And the fact that I was fresh off the boat, I, I, I didn't know what a credit score was. I didn't know what an LLC was. So I had to go buy this property all cash and that was this, my first day of a property. And that got me to property number two. And that got me to property number three. Now, fast forward, we're in, you know, grown a big syndication company. But it was that first deal that got me off to the races. And, and it was so important. That's awesome. So, yeah, I think a lot of people have trouble seeing getting over that first hump to that first deal is so difficult mentally. And once you do mm-hmm. that, the dominoes start to fall down. And, you know, before you know it, you've got a big company going or you've got a, a bunch of deals. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And for me, it was, I, I also talk a lot about this on different podcasts and, and I'm more than happy to share it here is the, it's the, it's more to do with so many people get stuck in this analysis paralysis and constant learning mode and never actually do anything with it. Right. Because yep. they're too afraid of failing. Well, here's the thing guys, it's not about smacking the first deal out of the park. It's about getting off of the home plate because you, you know, for me, it was my own money, right? I was willing to risk it. And if something went wrong, well, I'd learned a good lesson. But at the end of the day, it didn't, not, nothing actually went bad. And I had a drive-by shooting at my first property. <laughs> so I, I, I made money. I made cash flow. I, I figured out what Section 8 housing was. I figured out what, you know, what, what the hood was, the, the ghetto. But it got me going. And that was the most important lesson. And it gave me permission, Jordan, that I could do this. And that's the most important thing. And that's where the snowball effect comes on. Cause you say, well, I've already done one. Let's go do another one. That was easy. That was not as scary as I thought it was. 
Let's go do, th- let's go five more, you know? So, so it just keeps challenging you. And hopefully those listeners listening to today's show is that you have to practice pushing your boundaries each and every day. And that first deal is about pushing yourself to do it because the next deal gets easier and easier as deals go on. Absolutely. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, we're talking about New York right now, Syracuse, New York, but she said it's about four hours away from New York city. Um, I'll take your word for it on that. I don't <laughs> know for a fact, but, um, about Austin, Texas, how did you end up investing in Austin and why invest in Austin? Yeah. So central Texas first came about with, um, my forte into syndication, real estate syndication and, and, and working with a, with a mentor in my early career to do deals in Dallas, actually. Um, as I, as I branched out on my own to do my own company, um, I was looking at more affordable markets and, and, and Austin, you know, central Texas, Dallas, um, San Antonio, Houston, Austin, to some extent, um, were more affordable than the coastal markets. And I'm talking back in 2014, 15 and mm-hmm. more, more affordable and, lo- and more moderate cap rates than the coastal regions. And so it started actually in San Antonio. And then we migrated up to Austin because my business partner is from there. And really I love Austin because of its, its story. I have seen it growing up in Australia in a very supply constraint, but demand heavy cities. Because in Australia, that's all we have. In the coastal cities, that's what it is. New York City is high demand, low supply. Austin, Texas has transitioned over the last 20 years or 30 years from a boom bust, you know, moderate cap rate type of environment to a very high demand, low supply market. Mm-hmm. When you compare the barriers to entry into that market for new product, and I'm talking about brand new construction, you have high barriers to entry. You have prices of dirt in downtown Austin are trading for just as much as downtown Los Angeles, over 200 bucks a square foot. And the approval process can take three years to get through you know, planning. And you've got construction hurdles. So all that things means that it's a, high bar- a higher barrier to entry. You have demand flooding in through true investment from the local municipality over the last 20 years to invest in Austin to attract the businesses that are now moving there and making, making, keeping Austin weird, that, that sort of hip, hipster sort of Brooklyn with cowboy boots, second Silicon Valley type of um, uh, mentality, that, in, that, that brings a sexiness to it, an X factor. And then when I compare it to where I've come, LA, San Francisco, New York, Australia, London, these are all similar cities that have had the similar growth as what Austin is, is now experiencing, just that Austin is a modern age growth phenomenon through, I will say, systematic investment through the municipality to attract the right type of businesses and to grow the city in a sexy way that you want that high demand um, type of environment. And so thus then buying real estate in that type of environment is only the great good for me as a, as an investor. So that is why I love Austin. And hopefully that answered the question for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's why, you know, so many people and so many companies are moving here. It's just an attractive place to be for so many reasons. Um, and I will, and I will add just one thing is that Austin's down the global stage, right? It is, mm-hmm. it's not a secondary market. It's made a transition into being a, a coastal market, a primary market. It is on Sydney, London, Tokyo, Austin, like it is direct flights to and from London each and every mm-hmm. week. Coming as an international expat, having that foreigner, foreigner lens, when you see stuff like that, that is, that's alarm bells, like things are happening, like you need to pay attention. And when you can get into a, when the wave is coming, when you can get in on the front end of that wave, knowing that 
in 10 years' time, the, the city's going to be double what the population is today, oh, yeah. then you're only, you're, only going to, you're only going to do really, really well with a, with a return on investment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important way to look at investing is what's it going to be in 10 or 20 years from now? It's not, hey, what, it's not always, what am I going to cash flow right now? Um, right, 100%. That's the, and, and that with a low cap rate environment, because I've, oh, I forgot to mention that, coastal markets have a high demand, but low supply means it has low cap rates, right? With low cap rates means low cash flow. So, but the certainty or the risk of something going wrong with an investment is obviously reduced significantly because of that high demand. That's what happens in LA. That's what happens in San Francisco. That's what happens in New York. That's what's happening in Austin, right? So yes, you will not expect to get cash flow straight out of the gate, but if you have a long-term horizon over 10, 15 years, you will get to some decent cash flow, plus you'll have the, your cake and eat it too and get your, your long-term appreciation. Absolutely. So you know, I guess, Reed, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing right now. So what do you do? What kind of properties you invest in? Yeah, so I co-founded Wildhorn Capital with my business partner, Andrew Campbell. Uh, I think you know him as well, being a local mm -hmm. Austinite. And um, we started the company about four or five years ago, and we have now about two, 2,200 units, um, about a quarter billion dollars of assets under management, uh, both in San Antonio and Austin. Uh, and, and we syndicate. And for those people who don't know what syndication is, it's really just pulling investors' money together, and we go out and buy larger um, multifamily value-add assets. We are looking at other ways of adding value, not just through putting, you know, liquor paint or lipstick on a pig and increasing the rent 150 <laughs> bucks a month. We're also looking at opportunity zones. We're looking at redevelopment plays, being opportunistic in the Austin market, knowing that we want to be an inch wide and a mile deep in terms of our knowledge of that market. So we're looking at other things like hotel conversions for low cost housing. So we get tax rebates from the local government. Stuff that is around housing and multifamily and affordable housing um, as a city grows and knowing that that city is going to continue to grow and continue to have growing pains with its population, we, we, we want to be a provider of, of medium to low cost housing. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's, I think there's, there's so many older hotels around here that just need to be repurposed. So right. it's a great way to look at things. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. You know, you talked about about why you, you got into real estate investing and, and why you're investing in Austin. Um, have you had any sort of deals go wrong or any advice? You know, you had you bought the $35,000 deals in Syracuse. I'd like to hear your, your perspective on on buying really low cost deals in markets that aren't growing like Austin. So maybe tell us yeah. about a, a wor the worst deal you've had or a bad deal you've had. Well, I've, I've had deals go wrong, um, mm. but, but not necessarily, not on the large syndication front, not touch wood yet. But in my <laughs> early days, you know, like, yeah, I, I mentioned I had a drive-by shooting on that, that property, the first ever property I purchased. But I didn't lose any money. Um, I actually made money. I made cash flow along the way. I just had issues with Section 8 housing tenants. Um, yes, looking as a, as a fresh-faced, bushy-eyed Australian expat to the United States and seeing these great low numbers on paper, um, the reason those houses are low are for, are for a reason, right? There is no real growth in those markets. So buying a $30,000 property, you need to buy a lot of them to sort of mitigate your risk. 
um, in terms of it. Some may sit vacant for three, four, five months because you can't attract tenants. Uh, so looking back on you know some of the lessons learnt in those uh, less growing, uh, less demand areas is that you have to understand what you're investing for. And it's probably more on the cash flow side. So how do you go mitigate your risk when you go into those types of um, MSAs? And if you can understand that and know that you won't have you know, three, four, 5% rent growth year on year, you probably just have 1% ticking over year on year and it will slowly increase over time. But you have really nice cash flow because you, your, your basis is so low. Then if that's all you want, that's fantastic. Then you can, you can back into that. But it also means it's higher risk and because your cap rates are then higher. And when your cap rates are higher, means that there's higher risk of something going wrong. So for me, as I've matured as an investor, I want to invest in lower cap rate markets because again, supply and demand. I'll always have someone wanting to rent my property. I'll never have a property sit vacant for three, four months, which I experienced in Syracuse, New York, because the demand wasn't there. So understanding where your MSA and, and where it's growing, where the path of progress is, where the population is growing, why it's growing is really important in how do you back into your investment thesis and understand what types of deals you want to go out and acquire over a long-term period. I'm not just talking two, three, four years. I'm talking seven to 10 years. Absolutely. And you know, you talked about something there that I'd like to touch on a little bit too, is the, the path of progress. And the path of progress in Austin is, is interesting because it, it seems to be, there's a couple paths of progress. So where are you guys focusing right now? Or do you have a specific focus um, yeah, no, no, yes and no. We, we're trying to find deals that make sense. That's the mm-hmm. first point. The first point we are seeing that given COVID, um, you know, the, the, the East Riverside region that, I'm, that, 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 that is blowing up out towards the airport has started to soften a little bit given when the CBD, the Central Business District in Austin, is not having people come into work anymore because yeah. of COVID. So we're seeing a little bit of softening in that those markets and a couple of deals we have in those markets, giving more concessions away to try and attract tenants. Uh, but that's just a function of where we are in the COVID. I think as, as cities start to come back online, in fact, when we, we find a vaccine, people will still want to come in and, and, and entertain themselves, live close to work, you know, be close to concert theatres, all that type of stuff, go to cafes and bars. And it will come back eventually. It may not come back tomorrow, but it will come back in, in, you know, in five or six years' time. I think we'll all be looking back on this and, and saying that we survived COVID. Yeah. Uh, so overall, the, path of, the paths of progress are, we're seeing in the Austin area are softening just a little bit, but I think that's only going to be temporary when you look at the growth of people moving to, that, to, to the Austin market and, and where just housing needs to grow to because as the gigafactory for Tesla comes online, all that's going to require jobs as the city keeps moving east towards the airport, it's just going to, again, people, you need, need, you need places to house people for the population growth. So where can it move to? And it seems to be moving towards the, the, the airport and that, that eastern side of, of Austin. So we're, make, we're taking the bet on that. And, you know, short-term gain, uh, short-term pain for long-term gain is really what we're, we're seeing right now. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll get back to normal sometime here. It, like you said, it might be a few years. It's right. not going to be tomorrow or, or after Christmas or when a lot of people are hoping, oh, in a few months, we're going to be back to normal. So just for reference, for everybody listening, we're recording this uh, first day of October in 2020. So pretty far into the COVID time. And, you know, we're, we're just seeing things different right now than they probably will be if you listen to this podcast here in a few years. <laughs> so, you know, Reed, you talked about 
Um, some, some of your advice for newer investors, anything else you want to tell a newer investor, you know, whether or not we could be talking about passive investors too. So maybe you want to invest and want to read syndications and you're capable and able to do that. Or maybe you just want to buy a $35,000 triplex in a tertiary market. Yeah. Um, the big thing for me is if you're going to get started, you have to understand what's the purpose of what your investment is going to be. So let's break up the two people, right? You're going to have those people who want to control things, right? They want to own, they want to be their leader. They want to you know, forge their own path. And so they want to probably go out and buy the $30,000 property in the tertiary market. I encourage you to do that because it, you'll test yourself and your skills and you may realize you're not the best equipped uh, given your, you know, maybe you have a full-time job or you have kids or you whatever that you may want to then not do active investing. You want to become a passive investor. Whatever side of the coin you're on, you need to understand what you're investing for. And if it's for cash flow, fantastic. You need to then go and look at an investment vehicle that is going to help you get to your goals. Um, if it's about control, you need to understand what that means and where you can enter the market at and what's your price point. If it's on the passive side and you just have money to, to sitting around doing nothing and you can invest in, you know, in, in, in companies like ours at Wildhorn Capital and invest alongside of us in our deals, whatever it might be, you really have to just back into what is the need in which you want to place your money. Again, is it through control and you want to own it and be the captain of your own ship? Or do you want to just, you know, invest passively because you don't have the time or energy to go out and find great deals, but you know the benefits of investing in real estate are going to help you over the long term. Whatever camp you're in, you then need to back into, okay, well, if it's in the syndication camp or the passive side, I encourage you to look at, you know, I'm a, I'm a syndicator, we're syndicators. There's plenty of other syndicators out there. Go and find the ones, people that you resonate with, right, that have the same investment thesis as you. That's the people you want to be investing with. Um, in terms of the, the active side, You've got to go and just, you know, un unturn every single rock until you can find a deal that you can afford. And that makes sense for where you are in your financial you know, position today. So those two pieces of advice for, for different people, uh, different sides of the coin. Yeah. And I think what you said is important there. I think a lot of it goes back to what do you have more of? Do you have more time or more mm -hmm. money? You know, right. so if, if you are a couple of years out of college and you've got a little money saving or sitting around and maybe you can jump into a house hack or buy your first rental property, yes. you know, a couple hours away, that might be better for you because you've got more time than anything. But if you're in your fifties and you have make great income and you have kids and a family and all sorts of obligations, buying a rental property may not seem as attractive as investing with you or exactly. another syndicator and yep, just exactly getting right. those, those checks in the mail, not, not doing too much for it. That, that's exactly right. And I think you, you nailed it on the head. Being the younger, energetic person who can handle a house hack or being someone you know, a little bit older who, who's a little bit set, set for life now. They want, they want, they want those, that mailbox money. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. I'm invested in a few syndications and just getting that check and not doing nothing for it. It's a, oh, I mean, even not managing the properties or not doing any of the work on the properties myself, it's still easier. You know, I love active investing, but I have a, a special place in my heart for mailbox <laughs> money. So uh, what's your best mindset advice, Reed? So you've obviously come from some interesting situations and, and been able to, to hone in and, and really figure out what you want. And what's your best advice for figuring out, hey, how can I best attack my goals? So I think the big thing for me is 
looking back on, there's a couple of things. Firstly, is that you need to learn what I said earlier about pushing your boundaries, right? You, you've got to constantly push your boundaries. If we take one step back further, it's a, the ability to bet on oneself. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's the ability to say, I want to go out and be an entrepreneur and change my life for the better. Like me sitting, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, sitting in my cubicle saying, I've got more to give in life. I don't know how I'm going to go do it, but I'm going to go figure it out. And I'm an example, right? I, I, I don't come out here to boast and tell you all the freaking things I've done in, in the eight short years I've been here. I do it to inspire because if I can move halfway across the world and achieve the financial freedom, I didn't have any, I didn't have very limited funds coming here. I, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have an established network. I had to get a visa, you know, I had to get a green card, all these things. If I can do it, then the average American can do it. And all it requires, and it's, it may sound simple, but it's two things. It's betting on oneself. You've got to say you're worth taking a bet on and you know you can figure this out and, and, and forge a path forward towards your goals. But two, consistently pushing your boundaries each and every day. And it might be little boundaries, but every day you keep pushing and pushing and pushing and keep you know, challenging yourself to do more and be more. And then the third thing I'll say is the mindset on how long it will take. A lot of people... And I've seen in this industry come into it thinking they're going to be financially free in six months. You know, there's gurus out there that, that, that pound that drum. I take it from me. It takes a lot. It's a lot harder and it takes a lot longer to achieve that in reality for the average person. If you're a freak and you can do it in six months, good on you. But for the rest of us, it will may take you seven, eight, 10 years. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. If you go in understanding that on the front end, then the likelihood of you giving up after three years when it may not be going as, smoothly as you hoped is a lot less because you have the mindset. Well, no, I, I already said a mindset that it's going to take me seven or eight years to, to get to where I want to get to. And so thus it's a marathon, not a race, not a sprint. And you will then be more mentally calm in the times where it might get a little bit rough or you might get a bit of a little bit low and say, Hey, this ain't, this ain't working as I thought it was going to work. But knowing that you have the resolve to keep moving forward towards those goals because you've set the mindset up on the front end. Absolutely. And I think if you can keep that mindset, like you talked about, the compounding power of self-improvement is just amazing over a 10-year period. 100%. Yeah, exactly. And the, the old saying that Tony Robbins says that to say, you underestimate what you can achieve. You overestimate what you can achieve in a year. You underestimate what you can achieve in a decade. And that's the power of doing stuff consistently each and every day and pushing those boundaries. I had no idea I'd be coming to this country and managing these portfolios and owning my own business when I first moved here. I had none, I had no idea. And that was less than a decade ago. I know that the next decade that I'm going to go into my forties is going to be just as incredible because if you just, you got to trust yourself that things will work out for the best. And that's, that comes back to betting on yourself. That comes back to pushing your boundaries and knowing that you have the, the, the two cents to go and, put it together and make it happen and figure out how you're going to do it. And it's, it, and, and, and you just go out and take action. That's awesome advice. You know, just, just keep pushing forward and, and take action every day and you're going to be in a great spot. Um, so Reed, I'm sure you, you read every so often, what's your favorite business or mindset book that you've read really ever? Maybe it could be rich dad, poor dad. I know you've actually written a few books and we can talk about those in a second, but what's your favorite book? business or mindset that somebody else has written? Yeah, so obviously Richard Porter was very influential um, to get me mm -hmm. started. Uh, another book that I really enjoyed was, uh, it's a book called Key Person of Influence. It's helped me. It's actually got nothing to do with real estate. It's got everything to do with building a brand around being a KPI per, um, 
in and uh, for, um, for for whatever brand you might be. You know, when you go out and try and raise money, you want to be a key person of influence in your industry. And so that that book was written by Dan Priestley. I definitely highly recommend it. And obviously, other books like The Four Hour Work Week um, uh, are some great books. And and then another book I'm reading right now is Never Split the Difference. Um, so. So there's all these different books that are out there. A lot of people, you know, say the same things, but the, the one recently is more Key Person of Influence by Dan Priestley is a really good one. Awesome. Yeah, I really like Never Split the Difference too. I, I read it and both listened to it. Um, great, awesome book. Uh, his master class is also pretty good. Okay, I'll have to um, check it out. <clears throat> so, Reed, how can people get a hold of you? Whether maybe they want to invest in your syndications or just want to learn more about what you do. Yep. You can just go to reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. And you can reach out to me. If you're ever coming through LA and you want to meet up for a beer or coffee and talk shop, just hit me up at info, I-N-F-O at reedgoosens.com and just give me some heads up a month or two in advance and we can uh, get something on the calendar. Awesome. So I know you wrote two books. Could you tell us a little bit about them and where people can find them? Yeah. So the first book was, it's called Investing in the US and it's the same name as my podcast. And I started my podcast uh, five and a half years ago and it's all the best episodes and, and the learning journey of myself crammed into 12 chapters. Everything from understanding investing lingo to under, underwriting deals to taxes um, and, and really my story interwoven through the, the, the pages. That's the first book. It's called Invest in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate, the same name as the podcast, Investing in the U.S., which you can find um, on, on all the, or wherever you podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second book is called 10,000 Miles to the American Dream, and it's actually a book that I co-wrote with uh, six other Aussies, and we've all made oh. the, the pilgrimage across the ditch, and we have all achieved financial freedom through different forms of U.S. real estate, whether it be mo- uh, mobile home parks, multifamily. We've got a, we've got a guy in who came out here and invested in a real estate tech company, um, fix and flipping, uh, buying and hold lease options. So all these different op- opportunities exist. And if these bunch of Aussies, us, we, you know, we call ourselves uh, the, the, the Aussie um, uh, the re- real estate mates, if we can come out and do it, then so can you. And so the book is called 10,000 Miles to the American Dream, Our Story of Financial Freedom. And the, both of them are on, uh, on Amazon um, and both of them uh, have audiobooks as well attached to them right now. That's awesome. Yeah, so I encourage everybody to check those out and check out the podcast again. What was the name of the podcast, Read Investing in the U.S. Investing in the U.S. Awesome. So last question, Reed. Uh, I know you've got a favorite. What's your favorite restaurant in Austin? I know you've been <laughs> time. Oh, what's my favorite restaurant in Austin? It's 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 a very foodie scene. Um, yeah. I, I want to say uh, Odd Duck is a is a really I like Odd Duck a lot, um, and and Uchi uh, too that I that I do really like. But I, I'm constantly finding new ones that are just it's it seems to be popping up like crazy. These these little restaurateurs. So yeah, I have to go with Odd Duck. Awesome. Yeah, and that's on Sixth Street, correct? No, that is on um, South First, South First, down by um, uh, the Alamo Drafthouse um, Cinema, down, uh, yeah, a yeah, little bit further south of the river. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Reed, thank you so much. Thanks, um, mate. Anything you need from Reed, reedgoosens.com, um, Investing in the U.S. podcast. Um, and I'm sure he would love to talk to you about investing in any syndications he's got or really just anything real estate related.
Really appreciate you coming on, Reed. Have a great day. Thanks, buddy. Be well.